Welcome to the Family Beacon Podcast from Minnesota Family Council with hosts Grace Evans and Moses Bratchard. Stay informed on the top stories on life, family, and religious freedom. Get the facts, stand for truth. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Family Beacon Podcast. I'm Grace Evans. I'm here with Moses Bratchard. Today, we have a a uh, very special sort of episode for you guys. It is Good Friday, um, which is a somber day, but it does lead to Easter. Yay! Which is amazing. Um, and, you know, we can't have Easter if we don't have Good Friday. We can't have this beautiful, the beautiful day of lightness and celebration of Easter Sunday without the darkness and sadness and tragedy of Good Friday. Something I've been thinking about a lot recently is just how the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is the very worst thing that has ever happened in the history of the world, but it's also the very best thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. And mm-hmm. so today, Moses and I are going to kind of expound upon that. We're going to talk about why Easter changes everything, why the cross is so essential to the Christian faith. And I just want Moses to share a little bit about our vision for this episode, because it is a unique sort of episode for us on the Family Beacon podcast. That's right. So our slogan is get the facts, stand for truth. And today, the facts that we're talking about are not about current events or mm-hmm. political um, political uh, gallivanting or whatever whatever's going on in your uh, CNN headlines uh, today. Uh, rather, we're talking about the, the facts, the really the ultimate facts, facts with a capital F, mm-hmm. which is that um, which is that Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners and and died. Uh, and died on the cross and rose again. And when when you have those facts, then the truth that you're standing for is, you know, much more important than any uh, any any political statement. I I I say that even though politics is important. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. We would not be here if we did not <laughs> think that politics was important. This is mostly more or less a political current events, cultural affairs type of podcast. Mm-hmm. But we have to take a moment sometimes yeah. and talk about what's most important. Mm-hmm. And um, I see a lot of people. In fact, I was just watching a, a clip today of a um, of a pastor. I won't say his name. Okay, probably wise. <laughs> and uh, a relatively famous guy, I think. Uh, not anybody around here. Um, and he was just talking about how Christians are afraid of political engagement. Mm. Afraid of political engagement, they don't. They don't want to sound like Republicans, and he's just going on and on. And I looked up his Wikipedia article, and the guy has a bit of a colored, a bit of a checkered past. Hmm. Um, and and that was so. That's one thing. And and I just thought this makes me so flipping uh, disappointed because it's Holy Week. It's the yeah. most sacred week of the year for Christians. Every Christian in the in the world celebrates actually I think there's some Presbyterians who don't. But really? almost every Christian celebrates <laughs> Easter, right? Um and 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 like Easter is the day when we celebrate Christ's resurrection, the resurrection of Christ is the center of our faith. Okay. So how am I connecting that? When pa- when some some pastors obviously they're excited about Easter just like all of us. Mm-hmm. But it does sometimes seem okay. Okay, let, let me. I, I I I finally have a I finally have a handle on this thought that I'm trying to get out here. Some Christians have a problem where they take politics too seriously, mm-hmm. and they do not go to church enough, and they do not 
take their faith seriously. Mm. Moses, can you say that one more time for us? That's Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Some Christians have a problem where they take politics very seriously and they do not take their faith as seriously as they should. That's very true. Now, and I would say even, I dare I say it, it's probably more common on the right. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of Christians on the left who will say that their faith is super important, but they keep their faith and their political beliefs so separate that it's, you know, it's like uh, the, we talked last episode about the people who are personally pro-life, you mm-hmm. know. There's a bunch of, for example, Catholic people. They, If you're Catholic, you kind of more or less have to be pro-life, obviously not in practice, but like it's the it's the doctrine of the church to be pro-life and Catholics make a big deal out of that mm-hmm. as they should. But then there's plenty of pro-abortion politicians who are Catholic and pro-abortion people on the pews our who are president. Catholic. <laughs> and yeah, unfortunately our president. Can I say something about what you're getting at yeah, yeah. really quick? What Moses is saying really reminds me of what St. Augustine wrote on, which is the concept of rightly ordered loves. Mm. Um, What we're saying here and what Moses is saying, what I'm saying, is that uh, being a Christian who engages with culture and engages with politics is a good thing. And Christians should do that. They should engage with culture, but not if engaging with culture is more important to you than your faith. Um, Rightly ordered loves the, the idea of rightly ordered loves is so important because if we're not orienting our hearts correctly, if our desires aren't c- oriented in the right way, in the right fashion, then our entire worldview is going to be off. The way we live will be completely off. We need to make sure that the most important thing about our entire life is the gospel. That's the very most important thing. And underneath that umbrella, everything else will be made important. Why is that the case? That's the case because a biblical worldview is going to frame how we're going to live, how we're going to vote, how we're going to engage in politics. But if we're putting politics at the top, if that's our God, then everything's going to be skewed. So I think that's what you're getting at, rightly ordering those desires. Right. And so how does the Bible tell Mm -hmm. us to order our loves? What, What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so look at the order of those things. We have to love God first and put our faith in him. And then secondarily to that, very importantly, but we love our neighbor and, um, and you know, Grace and I, Grace and I and, and, and people in, in Minnesota Family Council and the pro-life movement, there's, they're like, we really are engaging in politics out of love. It mm-hmm. is out of love for the unborn. Mm-hmm. It is out of love for uh, for the 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 kids whose um, whose rights are taken away mm-hmm. um, because they're forced to compete unfairly in in uh, athletics or something like that. It's like there's there's a huge amount of love there. So politics is is one form of loving your neighbor. That's a pretty bold and, statement. And but. that form of love, of love for the mm-hmm. preborn, of love for the most oppressed in our society stems from the biblical command that we're given, Moses, right? Exactly. To love the most victimized in our society, to be an advocate for those who can't speak for themselves. That's a command that Jesus gives us. And so um, because that's at the foremost of, of our life, that's at the very pinnacle of our life, that's the umbrella that oversees everything and everything else is secondary to that and is shaped and formed by our first and foremost belief, which is following God's commands and following following his command to love others, to be a voice for those who can't speak for themselves. Absolutely. So so that is why Grace and I feel mm-hmm. that it's really important on this political podcast to talk about something that isn't political in uh, in the in a strict sense at all, which is Good Friday, the death of Jesus Christ, and Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about a, a story that I really think 
brings home the reality of, of Good Friday. And it's it's kind of like maybe a little bit um, a little bit obscure, um, but I think it's I think it's really interesting. Tell me if you agree. So, the author uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky. Oh, that's he, a good pronunciation. Hmm, well, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's. I just how... say Dostoevsky. Probably it completely wrong of how saying. How did you say it? Dostoevsky. How did I say it? You just had a good accent. You had a good accent. <laughs> I I don't think it matters uh, that much how you say it. I'm sure that we're both saying it wrong. Um, but if a Russian said, you're saying Dostoevsky wrong, I'll say, well, stop invading Ukraine. Uh, That's cultural appropriation. <laughs> yeah, <Moses>. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so Dostoevsky, one of my favorite novelists, really a great Christian novelist. Mm-hmm. If you haven't read uh, him, definitely start with The Brothers uh, Kramatsov, which is amazing. Um, and Crime and Punishment as well. Crime and Punishment is good. Um, uh, both exceptional Christian novels. Um, uh, one of his lesser-known novels is called The Idiot, and that's what I'll talk a little bit about today. Um, it's about a videographer, Jack Bittner. Who is laughing um, at us right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just kidding, Jack. So um, so it, there's this there's a scene in The Idiot which is based on a real-life thing that happened to Dostoevsky. So I'll start with the real thing. Dostoevsky and his second wife were in Switzerland and Basel. And they went to the art museum in Basel and they saw a painting. Uh, It was the painting by Hans Holbein and it's called The Dead Christ. And this is a painting that um, we're going to have on the screen. Mm. And it is a absolutely just shocking painting. I haven't seen it in person, but it is a life-size painting uh, horizontal of Christ lying dead. Wow. And Dostoevsky saw this painting and it hit him hard. Essentially, he had the question. Um, so this happened in 1867. Actually, I'll read the quote. This is from Dostoevsky's wife, Anna. And this is quoted in um, A Writer in His Time by Joseph Frank. There are only two really priceless treasures in the whole museum, one of them being the dead savior, a miraculous work that horrified me and so deeply impressed Feodor that he pronounced Holbein the Younger a painter and creator of the first rank. The whole form of Christ is emaciated, the ribs and bones plain to see, hands and feet riddled with wounds, all blue and swollen, like a corpse on the point of decomposition. The face, too, is fearfully agonized, the eyes half open still, but with no expression in them and giving no idea of seeing. Nose, mouth, and chin are all blue. The whole thing bears such a strong resemblance to a real dead body. Fyodor, nonetheless, was completely carried away by it, and in his desire to look at it closer, got onto a chair, so that I was in a terrible state, lest he should have to pay a fine, like one is always liable to there. Um, So Dostoevsky is supposed to have called this painting a painting that could ruin a man's faith. And two years later in the novel, The Idiot, uh, the character Prince Mishkin, the, the main character, sees that painting and has the same reaction, why a man's faith might be ruined mm. looking at such a picture. Now, the question, I think, is why, why does Dostoevsky, such a devout Christian, albeit an unconventional one, mm. why does he think it's so important to, to talk about, to look at a picture that is so devastating that that so clearly captures the fact that Christ was dead truly dead um and i think 
because like the fact of Christ's death mm-hmm. can test our faith. Because if Christ died and Christ did not rise from the dead, then our faith is pointless. Paul futile. says that. Futile. Mm-hmm. But if Christ did die and truly died and rose again, then our faith is the most sure thing in the universe. And we should be the most joyful people in the universe. Yeah. So so uh, one, one commentator on Dostoevsky, he said that Dostoevsky enacts the rigorous and ruthless crash testing of his Christian convictions against existing social reality. He confronts his beliefs in the same way that Holbein's disturbingly realistic depiction of Christ's body did. Um, Dostoevsky sensed an impulse in Holbein so similar to his own to confront Christian faith with everything that supposedly negated it, and yet to surmount this confrontation with a rekindled affirmation of his faith. Mm-hmm. So Dostoevsky could look at the picture of the dead Christ, and he could say, this is horrifying, this is tragic, horrifying to think that that Jesus Christ went through rigor mortis, that his, that his eyes might have not been fully closed, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then and then for him, but but for Dostoevsky, that's not the end. The, the that does not um, the story doesn't end there. Mm-hmm. And I think um, and that made me think when I was thinking about that, uh, I, that made me think of um, of Luther, and Luther was Luther called himself a theologian of the cross, and we're going to get into that. I'll think of a little bit more okay. in a moment uh, with what with what I uh, with what you wanted to discuss today mm-hmm. but um so luther is so much about the cross he says the cross is the center of our faith mm-hmm. and so um so a little bit from uh, uh luther's easter sermon um whoever has no good friday and easter day has no good day in the year that is whoever does not believe that jesus suffered and rose for him is without hope For we are called Christians because we can look to Christ and say, Dear Lord, thou hast taken upon thee my sin, and hast become Martin, Peter, and Paul, and hast trodden my sin underfoot and consumed it. There I look for my sin as thou hast directed me. On Good Friday I still see my sin before my eyes, Mm. but on Easter day a new man has been born. His hand has been made new, and sin is seen no more. All this thou hast given to me freely." And has said that thou hast overcome my devil, my sin, and my death. So when we see the 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 image of Christ's corpse, we're also seeing the old Adam, you know, the old Moses, the old Grace, crucified mm-hmm. with Christ, so that we not just in Christ's resurrection we also arise, because um, the um, as the Bible says, Christ being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. And we have been buried with Christ mm-hmm. in baptism, and we ra- are raised with him into new life. Now, yes, we still have to die from this earthly life, but that death will be not the end, but the beginning, something that ushers us into the full resurrected life that we are promised and I think that is beautiful, and not just that we are promised, but that we see with the eyes of faith through Christ who experienced it first. Yeah. So, Moses, you've done a really, really good job of emphasizing that it's so, it's so essential and foundational to the Christian faith that we have a working understanding of the theology of the cross. Right. It is essential. And you've done a great job emphasizing 
that it is of utmost importance that Christ died on the cross. I want to make the point even further, making making your argument even just strengthened, that it's not merely just important that Christ died, while that is so essential, but also rather how he died mm-hmm. is essential to the Christian faith. Because the way in which he died, the crucifixion, reminds us, terrible sinners, of the gravity of our estrangement from God and the gravity of our sin. Mm-hmm. Um, why did our Savior have to die in such a brutal, terrible way? I think it just heightens our understanding of our own sin so much better. So I kind of want to walk you through something I've been studying in school, actually. So I feel yeah. like my professor um, would be so so glad that I'm talking about this book you on the should, podcast. You should send this to I, them. I should send extra it to him. Credit. That's what I was going to say, extra credit. Um, <laughs> but I read a book for school, and a lot of what I'm going to say is very much informed by this book. Um, so definitely not taking credit for these these all being my own thoughts by any means. Um, it's from Fleming Rutledge's The Theology of the Cross. It's a very good book. There are some things I disagree with, but there's a lot of things in there that are so, so good. And one thing that she really emphasizes is what I was just talking about. Um, The way in which Christ died was an absolutely dehumanizing way to die. It was the most dehumanizing way to die in the Roman Empire. Um, There's psychological effects of a crucifixion, but there's also the physical effects. So psychologically, Moses, she talks about how to be crucified in Roman times was for the general public to say, you're the scum of the earth. The express purpose of a crucifixion is to dehumanize the victim, is to um, entertain the crowd. Um, it's to put someone on display and, and say, this person's life is worth absolutely nothing. There's, she talks about, the author of this book talks about how there's more dignity in dying um, by guillotine or by electric chair because at least then it, the whole point of the death isn't your embarrassment and your dehumanization, right? right? I mean, anyway, all of those ways are absolutely terrible to die. But there's something that's unique about the cross. There's something that's uniquely dehumanizing and uh, scandalous about the cross. So there's a psychological effect there of you're the form of entertainment, you're dehumanized, but there's also the physical effects. And I don't want to be too graphic, um, but I do want to emphasize that I would like to encourage our audience, um, if they've never... uh, understood or researched fully what it means to be crucified, all of the effects, all of the stages of a crucifixion, I would encourage you to do so because for me at least, I had known some details, but I didn't know all of them. And it really put things into perspective of, wow, my Savior did this for me. Um, Yeah. It's just, it's so graphic, but I think it is necessary for the Christian to understand. I mean, I will, I'm going to talk about a few things. I'm not going to talk about all the details. Um, one of the elements is scourging. Your back is um, whipped with a with, with a leather whip, um, sometimes with metal on the end. You you carry your own cross oftentimes. That's part of a crucifixion process. You're paraded throughout the streets so that people can mock you. Um, so that for the purpose that you're publicly scorned and victims often lived in Roman times when they were crucified, they often lived lived on their crosses for a matter of hours up to three to four days Moses so it's yeah so sometimes it's it it can be days on the cross um what really stood out to me um other than a lot of other graphic details um was just the way in which someone dies when they're crucified is literally by killing themselves what I mean by this is when you're laying on when you're hanging on a cross your hands your wrists are bound and you're hanging by your wrists and um, something we normally do in day-to-day life is we ex- we exhale passively. Now, that's something we do without even thinking about on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're on the cross, 
every time you passively exhale, it becomes so much harder. Every single breath you take, it's so much harder to exhale because of the amount of pressure. And so the, the victim of, of a crucifixion quite literally kills himself, mm. which is why it's so dehumanizing. So he kills himself because he has to be the one to decide if he's going, if it's worth it to take that last breath, if it's worth the effort of pulling himself up on the cross to take in that, to, to exhale that last breath, is it worth that fight? And so it's just, the author makes the point that Christ was forced to become his own executioner. Mm. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, the meaning of the cross lies not only in the physical suffering, but especially in the rejection and shame. Mm. And so it's so brutal and graphic and absolutely terrible um, how how physically painful the cross is. And mm-hmm. the crucifixion, I haven't even gone into all of the details of no. of so many other things that I could talk about. But even more graphic and disturbing and terrible is the shame and dehumanization that our Lord faced um, on our behalf. Um, so I think that's that's a sad reminder. But again, it's the good news. It's sad news, but it is the good news um, that our Lord would do that for us. Something else I kind of wanted to note um, along those lines is in the beginning of this episode, Moses noted that this isn't a political po- this isn't a political episode, even though we have a political podcast. However, what we're saying is still is, I will say, is very offensive to the world. What we're saying on this podcast is extremely offensive. Honestly, probably more offensive, probably more offensive than any other episode we've done. Now, when we come on the podcast, Moses, we don't we don't try to be offensive. We're speaking the truth and love. A lot of people are going to take that as offensive. Right. I would argue that I think that this episode is probably the most offensive episode that we've done so far um, because the cross is offensive to the world. And uh, Paul talks about that a lot in his epistles in Galatians and Corinthians. He talks about the cross as a scandal to the world. Um, the mm-hmm. Greek term scandalon, meaning a stumbling block, a pitfall. So the the cross is a stumbling block to the world. He also writes that he's not ashamed of the gospel um, because it is scandalous to believe something like this, right? right? Why is it scandalous? Well, the Jews and the Greeks imagined... Um, what did the Jews and Greeks imagine that a savior would look like? Like they imagined that he would come in triumphantly. Like he, he would come in, he would take dominion. The last thing anyone imagined Moses was a servant that would humble himself so low as to become his own executioner and to be degraded to such a low point. Right. right? And so it is so scandalous um, to believe this message. And yet we do. Right. Mm-hmm. We believe this message. It is offensive to the world because the world doesn't want to admit that their sins were so great that this was the necessary um, justification for their sins. Um, I think we need to, in light of all these things, we should ask ourselves, who am I that my Lord would have to die in such a horrific way mm-hmm. on behalf of my sin? Like, how how great must my sin be if it was essential for him to die such a humiliating, torturous death? Um, do you have thoughts on that, Moses? Well, yeah, I, I think that reminds me really of uh, a couple hymns that, mm. that really talk about, um, like, the, the reality uh, the reality of I, – I just – you know, when you're telling me these facts about mm-hmm. the physical crucifixion, I, I had no idea, yeah. honestly. And, um, and it just – it's this, this suffocating – the suffocating sense that that, yeah. that really happened – and that the 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 torturous reality uh, of that was is just so important to take on board. And when we do, uh, but but most importantly, we recognize that that was 
for us. Mm-hmm. And so it reminds me of the of the hymn, Alas, and did my Savior bleed. I'll just read a couple stanzas of that. I won't sing it. Uh, you have to pay extra for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we could have like a premium edition. Yeah. <laughs> like doesn't the Daily Wire have extra? <laughs> oh, maybe they do. I think um, they do where you can like subscribe and then pay more for the exclusive content. All right. Well, I mentioned my Venmo last week. The Family Beacon backstage. Uh, for, uh, yeah. For, for $1,000, I will send you an MP3 of me singing this song. Um, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my, sav- did my sovereign mm-hmm. die? Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? Was it for crimes that I have done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Um, and yeah, it just keeps going in that vein. It's just like the, the 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 meditation on the fact that Christ did not just die in the abstract, in the abstract, mm-hmm. but died for us. That that hideous death was for us, and not just that it was for us, but that it was. Um, the word for has so many meanings. It was efficacious for mm-hmm. us that it uh, Christ died for our sin, not his own, because Christ was perfect. Mm-hmm. So I just think that's that's so important and so interesting. So um, I think I think we've we've talked about Good Friday. Yeah. Good Friday makes Easter possible mm-hmm. uh, in the same sense that Christmas makes Easter possible. Yeah. Um, we, we celebrated in December, we celebrated the incarnation of Christ. Now we come to the point in Holy Week where we, we can't feel even that we celebrate. So at our church, uh, at the Good Friday service, um, it ends, they turn the lights, and everyone leaves in silence because there's nothing to celebrate. There's no communion. There's no, um, there's no fellowship and then, and then we, when we come back, it's mm-hmm. we come back in the joy. And you know, various people have various different uh, things that they do uh, in that time between Good Friday and Easter, when Christ was, uh, when Christ's physical body was in the tomb. Now, getting into some theology, um, a lot when when people talk about uh, talk about like what was Christ doing mm-hmm. during that time, mm-hmm. because. Christ, being God, cannot, um, he, well, I guess some people do believe that he was, like, fully just resting during that yeah. time. Which I, I, you know, this is getting into some uh, some theological stuff here. Mm-hmm. But then some people think that that's when the, the harrowing of hell right. was performed, which which does, is spoken of in uh, in the creed. He descended into hell on the third day he rose again from the dead. So I guess, I guess we, I guess that's what, that's what we believe. So, but, but Christ in hell is not being punished. Christ in hell is, um, many people believe, I think this is accurate, that he was, he was taking, taking captivity captive, as the Bible says, and, and leading, leading people out of hell, which I think is a really cool image. Christus Victor theory? Well, yeah, no, no. yes, I, I think that's great. Uh, yeah, wow. We could really get into the weeds We could here. really get into I think, I think that. maybe what, I mean, if you want, you can keep talking. I'll just say one thing. People, I, I talk about this a lot with my friends because mm-hmm. I have friends who are uh, not Protestant and, and, and don't mm-hmm. think that, um, uh, so, so the the standard theory of the atonement is um, is the 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 not the ransom theory for the atonement substitutionary yeah. penal substitutionary yeah. atonement. Thank you. And uh, so, uh, Christ died on the cross as a penalty in substitute for our sin. It was a, like a criminal penalty. God is the judge, and Christ is the 
uh, as one hymn says, Christ the victim, Christ the priest. And um, I think that's absolutely true. There's other people who say that, that Christ's death is, um, is showing that he is victorious over death and conquers death and sin. So like really connecting death and sin really closely. Mm-hmm. And that's more of an Eastern Orthodox understanding. There's a great book uh, on this called The Slavery of Death by Richard Beck. Mm-hmm. And he's actually a Protestant. Um, uh, I think he's a psychologist or something. But it's, but it's actually it's really relevant to what we're talking about today because Richard Beck is talking about how our fear of death colors so much in our lives. Yep. You know, uh, uh, the way we react to COVID, for example, uh, the, the fear of COVID and so forth. And... Um, and, and, and Richard Beck is like asking the question, like, what if we could believe, truly believe and live the fact that Christ uh, being raised from the dead dieth no more and that his death is for our death. And though we still have to die physically, we will never have to die spiritually and we will live with him eternally. And, and in the end, we will even be restored to our miraculously, miraculous physical bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. So we've talked about Good Friday. We've talked about the necessity of Easter. We've even talked about a theory of the atonement. But I think for us as believers, mm-hmm. every Easter, we need to think, and every, every day, we need, to, we need to wake up and we need to pray and thank God for another day. And we need to thank God that Easter is a reality. Yeah. So what do you think that that means for us? What should we be thinking about? Yeah, I think there's multiple takeaways that we should take away from this. Um, I'm going to start with um, just our, our absolute need for a savior. That's something that is huge. And I think that's something that we need to remember to live. We need to live by. Um, no, not even repentance from us can save ourselves. We don't have the capacity to free ourselves from the powers of sin and death. We don't. Um, God needs to act first to uh, remedy and resolve this situation that we have ourselves in, this right. this depraved situation. So it is necessary and essential for the Lamb of God to save us from, shall I use the term, systemic evil that is in our hearts. Um, it is absolutely necessary. And it was absolutely necessary for our Savior to die in the exact way that he died mm. um, in the humiliating, in the most humiliating way possible because such a great sacrifice was needed because of the great weight of our sin. Um, there's a quote I want to read that basically says something similar to what I just said. This is by Stephen Westerholm. He says, so catastrophic a remedy demands a catastrophic predicament. That's really what I'm trying to get at here. So one, we're helpless to save ourselves. We should dwell on that fact. Second, we should dwell on the fact that our sin is very grave. That ties into that. We are, um, we're helpless against the powers of sin and death without the saving work of the cross. Um, We should also be reminded of the humility of our Savior and being willing to humble himself in such, in such an incredibly terrible way as we've talked about the details, um, to be degraded so low, his humility is something that we should emulate um, in light in light of learning of the historical facts of the crucifixion. We need to we need to remember that we live in the already not yet, as Moses has explained for us. And finally, I think all of these things are pretty grave, pretty serious. But I think the final thing that I want to leave you guys with is in light of all these things, in light of, yeah, the horror of the crucifixion and in, in light of the horror of our sin and the need for such, the need for him to make something right because something is so wrong. 
we should rejoice that Christ did die on the cross for our sins. Like Amen. this should inspire us to be the most joyful pe- people in the entire world um, because we have such a great hope. Moses, your final thoughts. I just want to bring back one final political hmm. statement. Here's my political statement. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, his anointed one, and he shall reign forever and ever. That is uh, in Revelation. That's the promise of Easter. And when we, when, we think about, when we think about how that great reality, and then we think about not only how that applies to us, our, uh, the joy we take in that as individuals, but um, when we look, at, we look at the world and we see uh, evil regimes invading other mm-hmm. countries and starving their people and every, things like that, um, to quote the Bible, and also Kanye West, Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Oh, now it's playing in my brain. (laughs) Jesus is Lord. (laughs) Yeah, I won't sing it. Yeah, exactly. Um, If it wasn't copyrighted, we could play. That's one of his best tracks, in my opinion. Jesus is Lord by Kanye West. Yeah, it's good. But Um, yeah. And and so so my final thought is that Easter is a political reality. It's, it's, It's the most important thing for us as individuals is that it's a personal reality. It's true ultimately and true for each one of us, but it is also a political reality. The ultimate political makeup of the universe has been changed because Jesus Christ died and more than that was raised from the dead for us. This has been the Family Beacon from Minnesota Family Council with Moses Bradford and Grace Evans. Thank you so much for joining us and happy Easter. Thanks for listening to or watching this episode of the Family Beacon podcast from Minnesota Family Council. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you're up to date on life, family, and religious freedom. You can follow us on Instagram at MN Family Council and subscribe to us on YouTube to watch our content. Get the facts, stand for truth. Thank you.